Good morning, Burlington Baptist Church. We are at the final week of our sermon series of why I love this church. And I'm going to tell you that this week, not so different from any other week, I'm reminded as I'm out in the community why I love this church. This week, um, I was over at St. Elizabeth Hospital. And I walked in the door, and there is the lady at the desk that is tasked with telling you where everybody is. And as I walked towards her, she looked at me, and she just went, bam. And I said, okay. And she goes, room 2222. And I said, well, what leads you to think that you know where I am going? And she started laughing. She goes, number one, I know who you are. She knows number two is your whole church is here. I mean, it was just, it was absolutely crazy. And as, uh, as a part of that, I started walking up the steps and I'm walking down the hallways to the rooms. And it really made me feel good. Made me feel good, not just because everybody was there for one individual, but because the places that I go, the places that I'm a part of when I'm in meetings with the educators, when I go to the schools, I get a lot of that. Uh, they always look at me and they'll say, well, you know, those people at Burlington Baptist Church are always looking for something to do or something to give back. Or they're the ones that we call when this happens. And when you sit there and you think about it, it is great to know that in our community, we are blessed with the fact that people know that God is the center of this place. And I say that as a minister, and it's nothing that I do, it's nothing that Kent does, or anybody on staff. We just know that we get the privilege of serving with individuals who care about the relationship with God, first of all, and who relay that to people that are in need. So today, as we finish up this sermon series, I'm talking about a thief. And as I talk about a thief, that might just bring all kinds of, you know, memories or thoughts back. My first question to you is, audience needed a response, please. Has there anybody in here ever had anything stolen from you? Okay. I can see that I'm not the only person. Um, it happened to my son two weeks ago when we were on our trip. And I'm just reminded nowadays, I'm glad that I'm a lot older now because I deal with it in a different way. But I was reminded about some of the first circumstances I ever had to deal with stealing. One of those was my brother and I. We used to beat each other senseless. And it usually happened underneath the kitchen table. And what we were fighting was for whatever mom had put on the table that day and we decided we hadn't had enough to eat. And what was funny was, and you got to draw this image because this is 100% accurate, that we would be sitting there and we would roll out of our seats fighting about what the last thing was. And in the meantime, my father would sit there and laugh and watch it and eat whatever it was that we were fighting over, if you can draw that image. If you want to know where I got it, I got it very simply from my father. So... We fight over stupid stuff because things that mean something to us, you know, I mean, we act like there's never going to be another portion. I knew that the next day my mom was going to fix another meal. 
but it didn't matter at that point in time. Something else that happened to me, I was 24 years old, and Kendra and I were married, and I worked at Kentucky Enterprise Bank. And as I worked at Kentucky Enterprise Bank, um, they hired me to do a manager status and a vice president's role for the loan office. So I worked in mortgage lending, did compliance, did all that stuff, and it's all really, really exciting. Not, But anyway, our loan office was at 916 Mama Street. And if you've ever been to Mama Street in Newport, it's famous for some things. I'm not going to tell you what it's famous for. Uh, but on 916 Mama Street, we had the largest plate glass window that went right out to the street, and you could see everything that went on. Now, in the mortgage office, uh, Mr. White had asked us, he said, you know, we need to have extended hours for you guys. He says at 8 o'clock would be what our closing time would be for that office on a Friday evening. And it was really not a big deal because when you do loan closings, you know it can take a while. So we were doing loan closings, and one night, it so happens in Newport, there happened to be a gentleman walking down the street, and literally he was walking down the street. You could tell that he had been celebrating Friday a lot sooner than the rest of us had gotten there. And as he walked down the street, he walked in our door, and he walked up to my teller, and he looked at Juana, and he said, I am here to rob you. I want $5,000. And I was standing over by the while we were doing our countouts, and we were gone through training, and all the training that we'd ever been taught was the fact you don't argue with them, you just hand them the money, because your safety is more important than money. I guess it's still that way, isn't it? Okay. I, just, I don't know if you guys hold on to your money a lot. I don't know. Anyway, so we're all sitting there, and I'm sitting there watching it, and being the person that I am, I said, not this time. So I go strolling over, and the gentleman's laying in the window, literally, because he couldn't stand up. And he says, I'm here to rob you. I said, well, how much do you want? Because we don't keep money in the loan office. I said, we have a teller drawer, but I said, we don't keep any money here. I said, first thing I said is, I said, my boss is down the street two blocks, 735. You want to go down there? He's got money down there. But I didn't do that. (laughs) I figured I would deal with it just like So I'm sitting there, and I said, since we don't have money, can I cut you a check? He said, yes. I said, hey, life is going to work out great now. I said, I just need two things from you. I need to know how much money you want. He said, I want $5,000. Why I came up with that money, I don't know. Second thing is, I said, I need your name so I can put it on the check, because that's how it works. And he goes, okay, and he gave us his name. And Wanda went over, and she ran it through the machine and cut it for $5,000 and typed his name on it. And we just kept him there long enough. And by the time that he was ready to turn around and go out the door, the police were coming in. And I swear to you, he raised the check in the air, and he looked at the policeman, and he goes, but how did you know? And we said, well, you gave us long enough to call the cops. And, I mean, they just rolled down the street. So, I mean, when it comes to stealing, you have circumstances even in your life that you can look back and laugh. And really, it didn't cost me anything that day. It didn't cost my employer anything that day. It was just the way that we handled it. But as I started preparing for this sermon, I started thinking about, as a Christian, about things being stolen from me. 
And I keyed in on a verse, and it's John 10, 10. In John 10, 10, in the first part of that verse, it says this. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I'm not going to save the rest till later. I want to focus on this. Because as you read that, there is a problem. With church culture and Christian culture, when we read that verse, we get into the mindset that, you know what, sometimes it's all right for them to come and steal something from us just as long as they don't kill and destroy us. The problem with that is the person that he's talking about is Satan. And it's allowing Satan to have a foothold in our lives. If you are a Christian, I have a question for you. Why in the world would you ever get in the mindset that you want to allow Satan to steal any part of yourself in order so he doesn't kill and destroy? Because he can't do either one of those things to you. As a Christian, if you get a physical death, you get a greater eternity. And I have to know that as a Christian. And when I read that, I'm sitting there going, you know what, it kind of makes me mad the times that I know that I kind of turn my back and don't fight for the things he's trying to steal. And I'm not talking about money. And I'm not talking about possessions. But I'm going to talk about things that are a little bit more direct and maybe exactly where you live. Maybe Satan in his life has stolen your peace of mind. Maybe he has stolen the love and trust that you have. Maybe he has stolen your identity and integrity. Because we're willing to let those things go just as long as he doesn't take us all the way out. When I think about those things, I can think about how many times in my life I've compromised my own life. Just for the sake that I felt like at that moment I was too tired to battle. And the truth is that when I look at my relationship with Jesus Christ, he hasn't saved me to hand things over to Satan. Matter of fact, he saved me so I can work harder to pull things away from him. I have friends, I have family, I have co-workers in my life that I've had through all these years that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you probably have similar, you probably have family members that you know that their relationship with God is not what it should be. And they spend so much time fretting over the things that they can't control and we weren't meant to control. But I'm here to tell you today that we need to walk out of here differently and not allow Satan to gain that foothold in your life. I broke it into four areas in the sermon. The first one, of course, is that we all had something stolen. You have to identify what that is in your life. Today, you see commercial after commercial after commercial about identity thieves. You talk about the people that are praying on the internet. I was talking to somebody yesterday talking about at the gas pumps. That when you scan your card, there are people that are there that will take that number and use that number. The church here has physically been attacked for uh, financial reasons 
over some of the accounts that we have. And we haven't had anything stolen, but we could tell that somebody was in there trying to attack those accounts. So we know that thieves are real. And as a Christian that believes in Jesus Christ, I have to know that my enemy is real too. That there is definitely a black and white. God stands opposed to Satan. So in your life, the first thing you've got to do is figure out what is it that Satan has stolen from you. And then you have to do the next thing. Is there anybody that drove by the corner this week and read the sign? Ken Ford uh, came in my office the other day. He says, what do you want to put up on the corner sign? I said, I want this put up there. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Because if I'm a Christian, that has to be my mantra. It has to be the thing that I work for and strive for every day in my life. Do I fail at it? Miserably. I hit the dust and the dirt like everybody else. And there's so many times that Jeff wants to take control of his life and take control of the things that God's doing in my life, but I want to speed it up. Or maybe I think I can do it better. But the truth is that in all those things, when Satan is attacking and stealing and harming there is only one person that can deal with him directly, and that's God. And that's the promise that he makes to you. Claim that promise. Don't allow Satan to have that, that foothold in your life that makes you feel inadequate, that knows that if he says or reminds you of the wrong thing, you're going to go into your house and shut the doors and button yourself in because you don't want people to know your struggles. Because you don't want people to think that my identity in Christ is tainted. The truth is we're all sinners. It says it in scriptures. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And instead of looking at that as, oh, we're sinners, we need to, you know what? We're all sinners, so we can all battle this together. And we should rally around one another. It's one of the reasons why I love this church, because I see it all the time. That in the toughest times when people are struggling, you guys wrap your arms around those people and love them only like God can. But it can't just happen here. It has to happen outside of our walls too. And as I debate with many a people every week, the fact is we can't wait for people to come to us. We have to go outside of our walls. Because we don't deal with being robbed, having things stolen very well. That's the second point. We don't deal with it very well. I have some pictures I want to show you from several years ago. Jeff Mitchell was in here in the first service. I didn't know he's going to be here. But he and I um, were in the day, the morning after Katrina hit. We were on disaster relief and we walked right in. And what you're seeing is pictures of the makeshift city that we had set up in a church parking lot. And what we were doing was we were loading boxes. You can see the boxes in the background. That was, we carried these boxes. They had items that you and I take for granted every day. And the one thing I can tell you is after we loaded those boxes in the morning, we would go out and we'd head down the streets to people's homes. And I remember walking up to a home where a man had written, trespassers will be shot, and he was sitting on the porch with his gun. 
My daddy raised a lot of things in his life. He raised corn, he raised carrots, he raised two boys. He didn't raise a dummy. And when a man sits there and makes that certain statement, I know that he's willing to do it because he is willing to protect what little bit he has left. But we still had to walk into, up to his house and draw a big circle on it. And in that, we have a little cross and we have four levels of where that house is and what we find. And that man was protecting a house that was going to be torn down. We went on back two streets and we're going down the list because they gave us all the addresses and as we come to places, there were no houses anymore. We went two streets back and there's this house sitting there and I'm going, this isn't supposed to be here. And we looked at the number and looked at the number. We finally determined that that house had been picked up by the storm surge and moved two blocks back intact and sat down in a vacant lot. And the lady that had that house was going through it trying to pull out whatever items and memories and thoughts and photos. And in that moment, we realized that the the thief had struck. She must feel horrible. She's lost everything. And here comes FEMA. And you remember how that whole story went down. Was the government going to be there? Are they not going to be there? Who's going to feed? We had Christians singing in this church, and we were sitting there feeding them roast chicken. I mean, we had people come all over the place, and people would just come and get food. But this one lady, she reminded me very quickly that her kingdom is not here. Because she told me, she goes, you know what? If it wasn't my faith in God, she goes, I would have probably just wished that the water would have washed me away too. But she goes, all this stuff will get replaced. Not sure where I'm going to live and what I'm going to have. But she goes, you know what? The problem's not going to win. How many times in our lives do we know that we have storms that are coming in our lives and we let them win? Just because we, it's easier for us to close the doors and not have to face the waves in our lives. And that's not what God created us for. He created a resilient group of people and he created his church all over the world. The church is God's plan. It's just in many locations. And I have been blessed to travel around the world. I cannot speak Spanish very well. I cannot speak Polish very well. Lee's heard me try to speak Polish. We worked on that together and it doesn't work out well. I can't speak Welsh really well, but I was in Wales. I can barely speak English very well sometimes. But God has dropped me into some most wonderful places where I am quickly reminded about the fact that God is superior and controls the situation, not Satan. And I can tell you that because when I'm sitting there with a couple of kids that don't speak any English and I don't speak any Polish, the one thing I can tell you is the smiles went enough. The hugs, they went it over. And we're able to work through interpreters and the people that are with us that are blessing us because we're able to speak to them. Maybe not directly, but they know our hearts and the reason that we're there. That is exactly why we need to focus on how we deal with things. 
couple years ago, you know that we took a mission trip to Vegas. And while we were in Vegas, Satan put his henchmen up to things. Because I think really, and I believe it in my heart, that he was truly scared about what was about to happen there. And from the very first day, our trailer with everything that we had taken out there for vacation Bible school, the band supplies, everything that we had taken out there was stolen. And after that first hour of dealing with police and stuff like that, God began to work just like this. Phone calls and text messages. People telling me of people that live there in Las Vegas and are ministry sites in Las Vegas, there are churches in Las Vegas that used to be right up the street from me here in Burlington. And then them calling me the next day going, you know what, I got this, I got this, I got this, whatever you need, you're going to do it. And in that week, Satan was not able to stop what God started. Isn't that what you want to be a part of? Isn't that the promise that you want to see lived out in your own life? Because as Christians, we're blessed with so much stuff because God just heaps it on us. And a lot of times, we put up our umbrellas because we sit there and go, you know what, too much, God. It's easier just to walk into church on Sunday and sit here. You know, you don't know how they're going to deal with me. Yeah, God does know. He knows every part of your body, and when he calls you into service, he's calling you because you have a real purpose for it. We're not supposed to deal with things very well. That's number three. We're not supposed to deal with things very well because we live in a hard world. If you turn on the news, it can be the most depressing thing in the world. Because all you hear is about the negative, the negative, the negative, the negative. All you hear about is the strife and the struggle. And you know what? As a Christian, I'm reminded very quickly, that's exactly what the Bible tells me is going to happen. This place isn't going to get any better. Now, do I give up and throw my hands up and say, let anarchy take over? No. And the same thing happens in my Christian life. Just because Satan has some reign and some lives and some decisions, even in the church, struggles in the church, pains that we have felt this last year in the church, are we going to let that direct our path for the future? Because if we do that, we are doing such an inservice or injustice to God. And I don't want what is fair and what I deserve. Because if I got what is fair and what I deserve, I would be dead. Dead physically, dead eternally. Separated from God forever. And everyone in this room can think of somebody that falls directly in that path. And you have to know what we're called to do called to walk out the doors and to show them love that will drive them absolutely crazy. Make them try to figure out why we keep on loving them and forgiving them. Give up the grudges that you have against somebody. I'll tell you this, if you've made a statement about somebody because of something you felt that they've done to you, you better be going to that person 
especially if you're a Christian, because that's exactly what the word says. You go and deal with your brother or sister. Number two is this, is that grudge worth your eternal happiness? Because when I sit there and I listen to people complain about other people and worry about other people, the only thing I'm thinking about is that old picture of a pickup truck spinning its wheels in the mud. All you're doing is living in your squalor and in your pain. Stop it. Get on with it. So many things can be stolen if we just leave them laying out. Now, I told Gary Sargent in the first service, he had, I asked him for forgiveness ahead of time because I know how insurance people are. Insurance people sell us things to protect us in case things are lost. Now, if you watch these commercials, the thing I'm very interested in is some of these guys are only going to pay me back 75% even though I'm paying them 100% of my money. But as I'm sitting there knowing that I have insurance to protect me from the things that are being stolen from me, I'm reminded that that's not how God's mind thinks. The fourth thing that you need to know, and probably the most important is, that God pays you back. He does not let anything that's stolen from you remain. That if you trust in him and you follow after his principles and you live for him daily, even when you struggle and you fall, you're not going to be perfect. But if you're at least trying every day, God makes some certain promises in scripture. In the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 25, it says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent you. God is saying that the things that you lose in your life are nothing to me. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to repay you. You're not going to feel that. It's something that is just absolutely going to be trailing you for the rest of your life. You trust in me and you're going to find fullness and happiness and love. You're going to find trust for people that you haven't had trust in because you've let Satan steal that from you. Exodus 22.7 says, If anyone gives a neighbor silver or gold for safekeeping and they are stolen from the neighbor's house, the thief, if caught, will pay back double. Okay. Now we're moving up from just getting our stuff back. God's saying, not only am I going to give you something back or take care of what you lost, I'm going to double it. Now, I confessed in the church in the early service that if I knew that that was going to play out in the world too, I would take both sets of keys of my car and set them in my driveway, leave the doors open with a welcome mat. If I knew that I was going to get four new cars to replace the two cars that I lost. But since I don't like the two cars that I have, I don't want four of those kind of cars, okay? It's funny because we as Christians can claim all these promises. Look what it says in Luke 8, 19, 18. It says, Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I will give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, 
I will pay them back four times. If you know anything about biblical times, there is a very good chance that this tax collector right here cheated somebody. But because he was face to face with his Savior, and he was secure in the knowledge that no matter what he had to do, he wanted to make it right, and Jesus was going to fulfill that promise for him too and take care of his needs, I bet you on Monday, he was writing some checks. He was paying back those people. And it's not about the monetary gain. It was about doing what's right, what God expects us all to do. And then finally in Proverbs 6.31, it says, Yet if he is caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it cost all the wealth of his house. Why do I love my church? I love my church because I know that when it follows God's direction, there's nothing that can stop this machine. That no matter how bad the world gets and how many struggles that we have, how many times I hear about the pain and the struggling in the world, that I know that there is a God that one day is going to make it all right. He's going to make it all right for everyone that loves and trusts him. And the question for you today is, do you fall into that? The other thing I can tell you is this, that being the student pastor, I've been so blessed because I've gotten to meet some people. And one of them I'm going to introduce to you right now, his name is Greg Steer. And Greg Steer is the founder of a program called Dare to Share. Now, several years ago, and some of your kids might have been a part of the youth group when we did this, we used to load up in the middle of winter, January, February, and we would go up to Columbus and Dare to Share was a program where we would take our youth up there and then Friday and Saturday up till the afternoon of Saturday, we would spend all the time in preparation to share God's word. And then we would take 8,000 students and hit the streets of Columbus. Now I'm gonna tell you about one year in particular we did that. We had a great snowfall here. And Kendra looked at me one night and she goes, are you still going to go up there? And I said, well, if Greg can make it in, then I'm going to make it in. So we drove up to Columbus and there was snow everywhere. They didn't have school on Friday up there. We didn't have school Friday down here. But we made that trek. And on that Saturday afternoon when those students head out the door and we did, it, we did two things. We would collect canned goods for the local church's food pantries but we would also use that opportunity to share the gospel. And if every one of the students only did it once, that's 8,000 people that were going to hear the story of Jesus Christ in one day. But we have three hours, and something happened to students. That when they went on mission, they were doing it two and three times. We'd go to the restaurant at night to eat. They were doing it to the people in the restaurant. So there's no telling how many people heard the gospel for the first time. And it was such a great concept, it still is such a great concept about sharing the gospel and training young people to get up and do it. Guys, I'm 50 years old and I'm ashamed to tell you that our students have put me to shame over the years. 
just in their willingness to share a true and sincere love with somebody. But what's funny about this whole program, Greg, who's going to get ready to share his testimony, it's not where he came from. Listen to this. So it's obvious the gospel changes everything. And that really is the core to Dare to Share. To really understand Dare to Share, though, you kind of need to know my story. And I kind of have a crazy one because I was not raised in this religious suburban family. I was raised in the highest crime rate area in Denver. I don't come from a religious family. Jesus was far from my family. We had a lot of challenges, a lot of problems. But then one day, a preacher from the suburbs reached out to the city on a dare to talk to my Uncle Jack, the toughest one of my uncles, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. My Uncle Jack had been in and out of jail all of his life. He went to prison for choking two cops unconscious that were trying to arrest him for domestic abuse. In and out of jail his whole life, but this preacher shared with him the good news of the gospel of grace. He put his faith in Jesus. His life was instantly transformed. He began to tell the other uncles and people in our neighborhood, and one by one by one, they were transformed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was a little kid witnessing this, watching this, seeing my family transformed from the power of darkness to the power of light, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my story was changed in the process. You see, I never knew my biological father. I was a result of a one-night stand. My mom was a partier, and she had met my biological father at a party. They partied, she got pregnant. He found out, he got transferred 2,000 miles away. He was in the army, and I was raised never knowing my dad, never knowing my biological father. But when I was eight years old, I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ clearly for the first time. And I put my faith in Christ, and it transformed me. Because not only did I know my sins were forgiven, not only did I know I was going to go to heaven when I died, but I knew for the first time I had a daddy that loved me no matter what, that he'd never leave me or forsake me. And I want to tell you, it was that knowledge that, that gave me courage to live through life. The gospel changed everything for my aunts and my uncles, for my mom, and for me. You see, that's really the heart behind Dare to Share. It's what inspired me, this power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to train and equip other teenagers to share that good news with everyone. See, we live in the misnomer. Sometimes in the church, that the best people to speak up for God are the ones that are raised in church. And it can't be any farther from the truth. It could be a person in church, but really the best people to speak up for God are the ones that really know what it's like to live without him. They have to face those struggles. And I think that everybody in this room can probably think back in their lives at a time in which they didn't have Christ. I'm going to go back to our verse that we started out with today in John 10.10. 10. And look at what this verse says in full. It says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If we stop there, we're like the rest of this world and we have no hope. Jesus said that I have come that you may have life and have it more full. There's the victory. There's why the church exists. That's why somebody says to me, Jeff, why do you love the church? Because I have a promise that doesn't go out of date. 
I have a contract with the man who created the universe. I have a love that has been poured out on me like love has never been poured out on me. And I want that same love to go to everyone that I can take with me. So today, I ask you, do you have the kind of peace or are you letting Satan steal something from you? Are you fulfilling God's plan for your life and helping fulfill the plan for the church? Or are you content to walk in here and sit in a pew on Sunday and while we're in your misery and go home and continue to say, woe is me? Because if you're that kind of a Christian, I'm begging you to take the time today to come down to this altar and to give it over to God. If you need a sense of reconciliation with God, maybe you use the elements that are provided to give you that moment of clarity and thank God for what he's done in your life and say, you know what, God, I haven't been pulling my weight when it comes to your kingdom. I'm not gonna use the excuse that I need a break or I need a vacation. You know what? Jesus didn't have that option, so I'm gonna pick up my cross and I'm gonna begin to walk that way. If you need somebody to pray with you, I'm gonna be here. Guys, just know this, that the reason why this church is so special is because we wrap our arms around each other and nobody walks alone. If you've got somebody that you know and trust and share with, and they're in this place, walk to them. If you've built a wall, if you allowed Satan to build obstacles in your life between you and individuals in this room and this church, knock them down. Move through them. Do not walk out of here the same way as you walked in. And probably most important is this. That if you walked in this room and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're sitting there going, Jeff, I don't have any idea what it means to have somebody that cares and loves for me. If you only knew, listen, we know the people in this room, we've had the same similar struggles. We're not going to tell you advice. We're going to tell you to take it to Jesus. And we're going to pray and stand with you as you do that. Make this day like no other day. Make this day the day you say, Satan, you can't steal from me anymore. The barn doors closed, and I work for a risen Savior who can trump anything that you do for me. Let's sing. Stand.